Well, good morning, church. This is a bit of a surprise for all of us, isn't it? I don't look a little bit like Sarah. On Thursday evening, I got a phone call from Mick, and he had just been speaking to Bert, and uh, Bert assured him, oh, yeah, ring Jim. <laughs> but don't do it on Saturday night. <laughs> he doesn't need much time. So anyway, uh, Mick rang, and uh, just to give you a little bit of a brief background, when I preached a couple of weeks ago, that took me over a month to get that sermon together. So bear with me today, it might be a bit shaky. And as I looked around at when it was 10 o'clock, I said to to Tony, well, not many people here. I can't offend too many people. (laughs) Sorry? Originally I did, so the Lord's got a humour. Yes, I always wanted to be the last one in the the series. So, um, yes, uh, thank you, Lord. Um, But look, I've just got to make mention of our worship team. I came in a little bit earlier, I came in the back way there, and, and, and just listened to them practice, and it was just beautiful, it really was, the harmony was just, and, and I've just got to make mention of Dave, where's Dave? Well, oh Dave, he's there every week, he never has a week off, and good on you Dave, you do a wonderful, wonderful job, as do the rest of the team, but they can swap around a little bit. Okie dokie. So, um, as you know, I've had a little bit of training courtesy of uh, the Don, Don Hargraves, but it's been a long time ago. Um, and he says, you know, oh, throw a bit of humour in there, you know, get get their attention. Dave, I'm staying away from your guitar, just didn't think you, I'm not going to knock it over and make a noise with it, okay. Um but since the Earth is uh, the Earth's surface is uh, a three quarters water and a quarter land, it just seems right that I spend three times as much time fishing as I do gardening. Would that be right? Maybe not. So after a night out with some boys, some friends, some, a teen, a young teenager, took a shortcut home. And as he's going through the cemetery, he hears this strange chipping sound. And of course, he's a bit uptight. And then finally, he sees an old fella chipping away at a headstone. And he thought, oh, thank goodness, it's only an old fella chipping away. And he says to the old fella, oh, you had me scared there for a minute. Oh, I was thinking of all sorts of nasty things that could be out in a cemetery at night. And he said, but what are you doing at night? And the old fellow says, those stupid stonemasons got me name spelt wrong. (laughs) Okay. Now, years and years ago, I bought a can of paint. Got it home. And you know, you get your screwdriver out, you don't have a proper thing to do, use a screwdriver or a chisel or something else. But written right around the rim of the paint tin was, before all else fails, read the instructions. 
And I believe that was written for most Australian males. Because we've got to admit it. How many times have we thrown the instructions away with the packaging and then have to dive down to the bottom of the rubbish bin through all the nasties to find the help we need from the instructions? And today we're going back to basics to see that this message that was written on a paint tin many years ago still stands today. And even more so now as we see the turmoil that's going on in the world. People are asking questions, trying to make sense of what's happening. People are seeing moral values decline, right being called wrong, wrong being called right, and being forced to accept the changes that the noisy minority push on our society. We need to know where to find the answers to the questions before they're asked. And we can point to verses in the Bible that back up why we believe what we believe. That is, read the instructions. In Paul's letter to the young church leader Timothy, he gives this instruction and a timely warning for us today. In 2 Timothy 4, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, and we, each of us, no matter what your background is, we each have a ministry. Later on, Paul again encourages Timothy with more instruction that we can hold on to as we walk with the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Unfortunately, there are some in the ministry who abuse the position given them and subvert the gospel. 
in that they choose the verses they wish to bring to their congregation and which ones they completely ignore. These people are going to answer for their actions or inactions. Now for us here today and those who might hear this later, if you were asked to explain the gospel, you're sitting down with a cup of coffee and someone says, oh, I heard something on the radio the other day and they kept saying this word gospel. What would you say? Think about it for a minute. Imagine you're having a coffee with a non-church-going friend and they say to you, I heard the word gospel the other day, but what does it mean? How would you respond? Would you be able to satisfy their curiosity? If If the answer is yes, praise the Lord. But if not, you're like me. And this sermon helped me to understand what I've got to do. First, we need to know what the word gospel means. It has a Hebrew and an Anglo-Saxon origin, and it is small g, O-D, God, spell, S-P-E-L. And it means good message or good news. And as I said before, the the topic of today's sermon I said was, and now for the good news. It has a rich background in the Old Testament. In ancient days, when soldiers went out to battle, people waited breathlessly for a report from the battlefield about the outcome. Once the outcome was known, a marathon runners, a team of them, dashed back with the report. That is why Isaiah wrote, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Isaiah 2 verse 7. Now, quite a while ago, I was at a men's meeting and the person that had convened the meeting asked one of his guests, what's the gospel? I was taken aback at the question, given that it seemed completely out of the blue. The guest struggled for an answer. However, the convener coaxed the guest and gave him a prompt or two that had obviously been the topic of a discussion at a previous time. And the guests brought forward the text for today. The nine verses that we have, or we had up here from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read it again later, but a slightly different version. It covers the good news, the gospel. So let's go back to our scripture and unpack what is in there. So can we have it up there, Tony? Because I've got a different version here. We'll stick with the NIV if we can. Okay. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Uh, Did we go straight off there? Oh, then he appeared to Cephas. Now, Cephas is, is Peter before he was given the name Peter. And then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And to the last of all, he appeared to me also. Remember, this is Paul who's writing this. So he appeared to me also, who was to one born, uh, abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So unpacking that a little bit, bear with me, there's some repetition, but it's repetition for a reason. Number one, Jesus died for our sin. As the scriptures tell us. He was buried as the scriptures tell us. He rose on the third day as the scriptures tell us. He was seen by his disciples as the scriptures tell us. And then he was seen by over 500 people as the scriptures tell us. And these were eyewitnesses. The information in these nine verses is all we need to know in order to share the hope we have in Jesus, our Saviour. I found out later that this guest was asked to, who was asked to share the gospel at the men's meeting had been trained in a religious sect that was very strict on certain religious things, full of rules of how to live according to the religious beliefs and of works. It was a really true works works-based religion, yet had never been shown that Jesus had willingly died on the cross to save him from an eternity in hell. Those few verses changed his life dramatically. Had not his friend shared the gospel, this person may never have had a life-changing situation where he was able to have a a relationship with Jesus. And it's certainly good to know the details of the gospel, but we need to know the background to the gospel in order to answer questions that may come up. 
You can be sure that some people have some idea of the story, but so many times they'll only have a part or a distorted idea of what it's all about. And I believe that we can guide a person who is searching for Jesus by doing a little prior research ourselves. But remember, this is where we get our instruction. Jesus died for our sins. There's over a hundred verses that tell us that Jesus died for our sins. Here's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. This is just a few. Romans 5 verse 8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's one that may be a little bit obscure. You probably don't know this one. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life now... The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we well know the lead up to the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and we know the humiliation of the questioning, mocking and flogging that Jesus endured. But there are so many reasons that we can come up with that Jesus was absolutely dead. I don't know if you've come across the swoon theory. That's where Jesus was taken down from the cross, put into the cold, dark um, tomb and revived. A fellow called Josh McDowell he was a lawyer and he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And there's one item that I found so simple and yet so, so compelling. We read in John 19, 31, 34, now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, this was John's account. Remember John? Big burly John, he's a fisherman. He was accustomed to death. 
and gives us a simple yet profound statement. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. John reports just what he saw, blood and water. Now, when a body dies, it's well known that blood in these circumstances, in a still dead body, starts to separate. It starts to sediment. The heavier red cells sinking to the bottom and the much lighter plasma staying on top. So when the spear came up, blood and water flowed out. Jesus was thoroughly dead. While this manner of death and the whole ordeal Jesus suffered was a brutal way for him to die, there was also a prophetic significance to the event. John states in 1936 and 37, or 237, for these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. The references from Zechariah, uh, Zechariah uh, 12, verse 10. It goes on, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That was written uh, hundreds of years before the crucifixion. In our scripture, verse 3, it states that Jesus died. Jesus himself was talking to the two travellers on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus uses the Old Testament scripture to teach these men. Jesus quotes to, to the men Isaiah 53.10 because in Luke 24.6 he says, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And we need to have some knowledge to pass on to other people. We're not just going to waffle on and, and lose them. Jesus was buried, and what was so significant about Jesus' burial was the fact that the Pharisees were concerned that Jesus' disciples would come and steal Jesus' body. The stone across the entrance to the tomb was huge. It's been estimated it would take several men to roll it into position. It would have been held in place by, it was in a groove, but in the groove was a lump and once it went over that lump, it locked in position. And it would have taken more men to push it back. And the king's seal was put on that stone. And severe punishment would be the result of tampering with that steel, that seal. But there were guards all around the tomb as well. Matthew 27, verses 62 through to 66 says, The next day, the one after preparation day, 
The chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now the guards were assigned to watch over the tomb of a dead person. And you just don't see that anywhere else. These may have been temple guards because they reported to the chief priests, but they may also have been Roman soldiers because they are assigned by the governor, Pilate. They could have been under the threat of death should they be found derelict in the duty, uh, line of duty of carrying out the task given them. When the guards found out that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb, they panicked. Matthew 28, 11 to 15 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You were to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report get, gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. In our breakdown of this, this um, Bible reading, Jesus rose on the third day and Jesus predicted his resurrection in Matthew 16:21 it says from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day he would be raised to life. Matthew 12:40. For as Jonah was in three days in, and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Mark 9, 9, as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, Jesus was seen by his disciples, another one of our list of topics. In Matthew 28, it says uh, from 1 to 10, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know who you're looking, you're looking for Jesus 
who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they'll see me. And Jesus appeared to his disciples on the evening of the first day in the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus made a number of appearances after his death. They were to a number of people, different people, over a 40-day period. The Bible specifically says that on Sunday, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, the woman that came to Jesus' tomb, Mary, the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna. He saw Peter and the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. He also appeared to the remainder of the 12 disciples with Thomas absent. Later, he appeared to them with Thomas present. There was also the appearance to the seven disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was seen by over 500 people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 said after, after that he appeared to more than 500 and the bro- of, of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the same time. There's also an appearance to James. And finally, Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus, the man who became the Apostle Paul. These appearances convinced his disciples beyond any doubt that he had risen from the dead. Now, while this is a whistle-stop tour of the facts behind our beliefs, a belief and our hope that we have a saving grace of our Lord Jesus, Jesus fulfilled 351 prophecies in the Old Testament. If you have an hour or so, we can go through them if you like. Maybe not. A fellow called J. Barton Payne he wrote an encyclopedia of biblical prophecy and he lists, lists 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament and 578 in the, new, uh, in the New 
giving us a total of 1,817 prophecies through the Bible. And they encompass 8,352 verses. Do you know there's nearly a third of the Bible that's all prophecy? Strange that we don't hear more of it. So the fact that there have been 351 prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ the first time should well and truly be enough evidence that the prophecies regarding Jesus' second coming should be looked at as being fulfilled as well. They are going to be fulfilled. Have we considered the fact that so many of today's news headlines could have come straight from the Bible? When you see what's going on in the world, go to the Revelation and you'll see it there. God has given us the book of Revelation not to scare us, but to prepare us. The average person is seeing as what's going on in the world is scared. We're not to be scared. We are to be prepared because we've got God's word. Questions will be asked. We need to be prepared to explain what is happening through the information that was given to the Apostle John who wrote everything he saw while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Revelation 1, 1 to 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. But I want you to grab hold of verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Only that one verse throughout the whole Bible offers a blessing for those people who read Revelation. Take the time to read it and you will be blessed. That's a promise. Jesus is coming back for his bride and our job is to be watchmen and watch women. And just a reminder on the role that a watchman would undertake. In Ezekiel 33, 1-6, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, Speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make them their watchman, and of course, it could be a watchwoman. He sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, the blood will be on their own head. Verse 5. Since 
they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. I mean, it must be important. It's written there twice. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone life, someone's life, then that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. That's a very heavy charge to put on us to be watchmen and women. We need to be attentive to the questions that people have for us. Be ready in any season to give an answer. Jesus said that when in front of authorities, we won't struggle for something to say. So if we're in front of a person just over a cup of coffee or in a court of law, and he says in here, when they're brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. We can claim that promise. Luke 21, 28 says, Now when these things happen, Read the newspaper, watch the telly, go to YouTube. You'll see these things happening all over the world. Look up, lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. Let us not become, uh, Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And in Matthew 12 Thirty-six, thirty-seven. but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on that day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Be a watchman. As a reminder, uh, as a, a youngster, I was reminded of the motto for the scouts. Two words, be prepared. So when you are talking to your friend, colleague, whoever it is that may broach the subject, don't go out there and hit him over the head or her with it, but be prepared to answer, but have the background behind it. Say, I truly believe this. As the scriptures tell us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction it gives us. Thank you, Lord, that we can look into the future through reading the book of Revelation. That the name 
gives it away. It is a revelation of what is going to happen. You are going to come back. We don't know the time. We're not going to set dates. But we know you are coming back. We just thank you for those promises. The promises that you will bless us as we read Revelation. Help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is humble that will reach out to our friends. I thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 